you're listening to the Oh, I Had That podcast tonight. We have a really special guest with us. Um, I've known this gentleman for, man, it's probably been close to 20 years, the end of the 90s. <laughs> so, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> this gentleman goes by the name of Justin Courtney Pierre. You know, may know him from band Motion City Soundtrack. Um, he has, He's gearing up to hit the road on a solo tour. He's got a brand new LP coming out in October, and we're just going to talk about um discovering music and go off on some tangents and maybe we'll talk about even uh film and how that has uh impacted his career and his life so justin welcome to oh i had that how are you tonight i'm good how are you doing we're i'm great so yeah you you uh, kind of grimaced there at how long it's been i mean i can't <laughs> i it's crazy it's 2018 <laughs> i know it's so weird i mean like just and i'm sure people people have said this to you before but like it have you noticed like how nostalgia is a thing that is um spiraling closer and closer to itself as time goes on yeah <laughs> cuz it it's like it's really weird to me cuz i mean i remember when bands from the 70s would get back together in the 90s and that seemed like it was too soon yeah and then it's 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 like if it's been like a year or two people freak out and they're like oh man remember when that record you put out last year came out <laughs> Holy all, shit. Everybody yeah. has every, – it seems like bands just kind of – they don't break up. They take breaks now so they can do that reunion tour. <laughs> yeah. So Motion True. City in like 10, 15 years, you got something happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, technically, what did we say? We said that we were no longer interested in touring. Oh, okay. Um, and that's so – you know, who knows what that means. But I think at the time, none of us were willing to commit to anything, be it, you know, long-term or short-term. Uh, and then here I go, about to go on a tour. But to be fair, <laughs> Motion City tours are like you know anywhere from four to eight months out of the year. Whereas this, I talked to my wife and we're like, let's like one month out of the year. Is that cool? Can we do that? Is that yeah? I think yeah, that's that right. seems about doable. And now yeah. that it's you know your thing, you can maybe have a little bit more control of like when you're gone and coming back and. Yeah, it's it's a, yeah. I I don't know that I want to get into all the nitty and the gritty, but I yeah. you know this this I and I've kind of said it before, and I I don't want to like repeat myself because then it just sounds like I'm doing sound bites, but <laughs> but I, I will say that this all sort of unfolded very, like, it, it, there was no grand plan. There was hope, but there was no plan. Yeah, and it yeah. sort of happened and unfolded, and now we're like, okay, what, you know? So I have no idea if this is going to be it, and then I'm done, and nobody cares, or <laughs> if this is going to be something that will allow me to continue doing it or more of it, and you know, in bigger ways or, or or along the same line, or you know, I just have no idea. Yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like the the little bit I read about it, the press that I saw, it it kind of happened naturally, and you're just like at home for a while doing the domestic dad thing like all of us do and you got inspired and you had things that you had written in the past that you went back to so hey more power to you i think it'll i think it'll go well i think you'll do great <laughs> well but, thanks yeah you just see how this tour goes and how it you know works with your family and go from there yeah that's that's the real thing it's like how was it being away but i i'm reaching that age now that i think josh was when or, or that Josh's daughter, like his daughter, was the same age my daughter is now. When she started asking questions like, "Why are you going away?" and "Why are oh. you leaving?" You know, and I just like, oh, I just you know, like, 
I don't want because he would tell me all these things. And I'm just like, oh my god, I don't, I can't, I can't even, you yeah, know, imagine. That, yeah, that'd be rough. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> fun yeah, stuff. So, yeah, it's. Um, I mean, you've been doing some fun stuff leading up to it. I know it. You got a couple of weeks now. October ninth. What's the date on the album drop here? Uh, album is October twelfth, and then the tour starts November first. Oh, that's great. But yeah, you've been doing some fun stuff with spotify and apple music and putting together like uh playlists that take mm -hmm. kind of on a journey from your maybe your beginning of high school like 1990 to yeah, yeah. so i noticed you were at around like 1996 that's, the other day good, <laughs> yeah that's just like a good 10 10 year period start with high school and end with like you know motion city's first show or oh, something yeah. you know that kind of in that that I don't know, and I just like I, I'm obsessed with the '90s, and I don't know if that's a good thing or not, I but mean, I just can't seem to shake it. Yeah, you and me yeah. both. I mean, look at—I have this podcast and this Instagram mm -hmm. now where I'm just focusing on those days of, you know, everything from television to film to music that just seeps in, and I started collecting my 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 youth years in whether it's in toy form or garbage pail kids or <laughs> whatever I yeah. can find. Yeah, but um. Yeah, I think it, it's really interesting. I was I was taking a look at, you know, the music on the the various years and there's been a lot of bands that, you know, on there that I discovered later and um yeah, I think it would be cool just to talk about like how you started to consume music and discover those artists like 1990. I mean, you got like singles and <laughs> Yeah, I'm not even sure 1990 cuz I'm I'm trying to think of like where I was. I came like I went to a Catholic grade school for nine years so up through eighth grade from kindergarten to eighth grade i think there was some deal made with my grandmother and my parents so like she would pay for this thing but really wanted us to go or something i don't know oh. none of my other siblings made it all the way through but i was <laughs> the only one that did and so when i went to high school in 1990 it was severe culture shock going to the public high school oh, from yeah. this weird like i didn't even like somewhere between kindergarten and eighth grade, like I knew that this whole like religious thing I was doing was not for me. And so it was just miserable. And then I went from one miserable to like a different kind of miserable where I just uh, didn't understand. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't truly miserable, you know, like well, in a grand perspective, high yeah. school miserable. <laughs> I was just so insecure and unsure and anxious. And I just didn't know like, what am I supposed to do? And I had a neighbor um, who told me like, okay, here's what you do. You go to Chess King and you get yourself some cardigans and you do this and you do that. But he was kind of like this preppy guy. <laughs> and and I and so like I just didn't understand. I was wearing like these Motley Crue t-shirts with cardigans over them. And I just – I was like – I just – it didn't – nothing made sense. Yeah. And I kind of meandered for the first couple years. I kind of had friends in different groups. But then eventually like I found the art – like weirdos the people who were in the all the plays and like just did weird stuff all the time um, <laughs> and that and then that was sort of you know and then i was you know i was a guitar player so i started a band um but but yeah those first two years were kind of rough I and think, so i think we kind of had similar journeys i i went to a catholic school from k to fifth grade and then I was just kind of like begging my parents to let me go to public middle school or junior high which was sixth to eighth grade and mm -hmm. 
in sixth grade entering that and just meeting these kids who, you know, they're cussing and they're smoking already. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, girls are starting to become, you know, young, young ladies that you have interest in and you're having all these feelings. And it's like, wow, it's a lot different than going to Catholic school. <laughs> well, I will say that I think like I, I did, I mean, it's probably not a good thing to talk about, but I, I did drink for the first time when I was in Catholic grade oh, school. Well, there you go. <laughs> and, and smoked cigarettes for the first time in Catholic grade school. And I had several girlfriends, but I don't know if anyone else has had this experience. I don't know if this is like a, a, a weird thing, but I would talk to them on the phone all the time. But then at, we'd get to school and I wouldn't say a word to them. And oh, I couldn't, so... like, I was too scared. <laughs> and That's I was, bizarre. I know. I, was, I, was, I couldn't do it. And there was only like, 18 of us in a class like oh, it, wow. it, you know what I mean like it was really tiny and I couldn't I was like I, was, I don't know there was something wrong with me I mean there's still something wrong with me but I think that was I, <laughs> I think I left Catholic school early enough where I wasn't you know didn't have the smoking in the girls yet that that's why it came yeah. it came in public school for me in sixth to eighth grade that's probably when you started doing that stuff that's when everybody does it, which terrifies me. <laughs> now, yeah, as a dad, uh, you're like waiting, yeah. You're like ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think we're gonna have to have the talk soon. She's only three and a half. Oh jeez. <laughs> um, but yeah, the yeah. talking on the phone for hours, and then you go to school and you barely say a sentence to each other. It's. <laughs> I know it's so weird, right? Uh, but maybe so... I shouldn't have admitted to that. I don't know. <laughs> so how did do you do you have any memories of how you? you know, started to consume music when you, you know, got into high school and started to kind of find your footing and, you know, you have these bands that are popping up for you. Um, it no, I noticed a lot. Now I don't know enough about like that, those subgenres, but a lot of those bands, I think you would probably call them like shoegazing or shoegazer. Is that? Yeah. Shoegaze. Yeah, uh, I guess okay. that was a term, like, I think it was just really slow, melodic, uh, music with a lot of feedback and distortion and long songs where the bands didn't really put forth much effort to like jump around or do anything. They just kind of looked down at their guitars, yeah. AKA their shoes and just kind of <laughs> played. Um, you know, I think bands like, like ride, uh, swerve driver. Um, I know I'm trying to think my bloody Valentine for sure. Um, I don't know if Ned's Atomic Dustbin fit into that, but but it all uh, kind of yeah. Even being broken down in like a subgenre like that, it all kind of sounds just so of the time in '90s, and even the top '40s was kind of like running into that melodic, like the same kind of feel that some of those bands had. That was just more poppy than than that stuff. Yeah, I mean to be fair, I think some of this stuff that I put on these mix these mixes or these playlists were I discovered after the fact. Oh, okay. So, but that's, these are just the years that they came out. But yeah. I, I th a lot of it, like the first friend, like one of my, my best friend, at least for me, I, I don't know if I was his best friend, but, <laughs> uh, but his name is Nick nephew. And he introduced me to like pretty much everything I listened to and continue to listen to. And he was one of those guys that just knew everything before anybody else did. And I, I think it was from subscribing to different magazines or something like he, I, th that was how we got our information back then. And so he, I, I just remember, um, well, let, let me see, before I get into that, I feel like I should say that leading up to high school, my trajectory as a music uh, lover was a weird one that I think it, you know, 
I was into whatever was on the radio. Yeah. Right, as a kid. Yeah, that, as most songs. of us were. I mean, I don't feel... Well, my, I didn't really be, break out into my own as far as having start having distinct tastes and stuff till like around eighth grade or so. Well, see, for me, it was somewhere. I think I whenever License to Ill came out mm. from the Beastie Boys, that I, is eighty four or eighty five or eighty six, some somewhere in there. I forget. Honestly, maybe it was eighty four. Whenever that was, that was the first time where, like, up until then. Mm-hmm. I was kind of just listening to whatever was on the radio and not really paying much attention. I think it was KS95, the hits of the 60s, 70s, and today, because it was the 80s. And and then uh, for one birthday, my dad bought me two cassette tapes. One was Night Ranger Greatest Hits, <laughs> right? And I listened to it. I'm like, oh, this is cool, whatever. And the other one was Beastie Boys License to Ill. And I don't know what the fuck he was doing buying that, but I, you know, I, I think he probably just looked at the – yeah. end cap and was like well these two are you know let's, let's get them uh and so that like opened me up to a whole world i hadn't really paid attention to and somehow i i, I remember being into the beastie boys the fat boys run dmc and public enemy so those were like mm. somewhere in the late 80s i was into that and then we all had like you know haro or freestyle bikes i had a little haro like, and all, all the guys in the neighborhood could actually do tricks and do stuff, and I couldn't, but <laughs> they would work on their bikes, and I would just kind of flip mine over and, like, pretend to do things. And, and then somebody, uh, whenever, um, like, Purple Rain, whenever that record came out, um, I just remember being blown away by that first track and that guitar solo. I was like, what the fuck? And then somewhere in there, it was there's, like, hip-hop, hair metal, and, like, um, and, then, and then just straight up, like, metal all kind of converged at the same time. And it could have been, it could have had something to do with the Run DMC and Aerosmith combination. Yeah, right. And yeah. there's like <laughs> something about like metal and hip hop. And there was like all those things with um, like anthrax and uh, public enemy. And it was just this weird. And then the, the judgment night soundtrack, like, uh, that was a thing. Judgment right? night, like, the movie rarely gets brought up and what a classic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, wait, that, that was, was that, was was, was Jeremy the... Piven in that and like Emilio Estevez or? Oh God, I don't, I, I don't, I honestly, I can't remember who was in it. I just remember <laughs> the soundtrack Slade. It, I mean, I, I don't know how well it holds up. I still like the, there's a Del the Funky Homo Sapien and Dinosaur Jr. song called Missing Link, I think. And then there were two songs that Cypress Hill did. One was with Pearl Jam, one was with Sonic Youth. Um, Oh, that's the one with uh, Helmet and House of Pain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that it was such a weird, like, it was a, an entire album of of these weird mashups between two bands, or two outfits. Um, anyway, I kind of digress, but somehow it, that was like a, definitely a product of that time period, and, and and somehow I got caught up in all of it. And then, you know, heading into high school, I was kind of into metal, kind of into hair metal, what you know, whatever the terms are. A little bit of hip hop, and then, and then um, I, the the first band that sort of bridged that gap between metal and um, and like what came to be known as the alternative music scene, which is probably <laughs> one of the worst descriptions of a genre, uh, was uh, Smashing Pumpkins. Mm, I just was... I just saw Smashing Pumpkins down in Nashville. Here was that oh. the the gap the reunion, so to speak, without the 
without Darcy. <laughs> oh, the reunion without Darcy. Huh. All right. It was like uh, quite a reunion. Jimmy and James, and so basically they just got James to join up again. It seems like. Okay. Huh. <laughs> but yeah, they played nothing really, but you know the classics. But it's just, hmm. it's definitely of that time and takes you back to a, a moment in time with music. But um, yeah, I. I I'm like I because as I was making these playlists, like the Smashing Pumpkins were a huge part of my life growing up, but I can't listen to them now. Yeah. Like I don't, I I just can't get. I think his personality is kind of uh, like bummed me out. And, you know, <laughs> now that like you have like footage of him being a human that you can access easily, uh, and then also I just. As much as I might like some of the music, I just his voice doesn't really do it for me. Yeah. Um, and back then, I mean, I was in this band called Slide Coaster that we were basically shitty Smashing Pumpkins. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I've heard voice. Slide Coaster. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like me singing bad, like a bad Billy Corgan, which is <laughs> oh, tough to do. Uh, but yeah, um, sorry, I, I, I tangent. Uh, yeah. So how? Point, I mean, you were, yeah, you were telling me your friend basically influenced like all of your taste. Um, but you know, getting into the '90s, were you you know finding a way to buy uh, cassettes or vinyl still at that point? Or I was know? never. Yeah, I never bought vinyl. I think I started with cassette. I think my dad retired his record player when I turned two because I broke too many of his needles oh. <laughs> um, listening to them. Like I would just try to put records on. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't have a record player growing up, but he always played music. Um, but yeah, I I think somewhere in the early '90s, like like Nick introduced me to Sonic Youth and the Pixies and Flaming Lips, Mercury Rev. Like just all these bands that I still love. Um, and yeah, and he just like knew all of this stuff before anybody else did. And yeah, and I just, I, it was like, a, a, a spiritual awakening or something, just hearing this music and going, holy shit, this is, this is interesting. Yeah. This where is, you find that yeah. music that you just connect with immediately like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, you know, and I, I'm trying to think of what I think, well, my first concert I think was in. I was 14, so it must have been 90 or 91, somewhere in there. But it was uh, the Use Your Illusion Guns N' Roses. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, Soundgarden was opening. And they were super late. Guns N' Roses went to, like, I, the rumor has it that they went to, like, a, a, a North Stars game or something. But I, I don't know if that's really true. Um, but I started going to concerts then after that. And I went to, like, with my older neighbors. Um, I went with them, and I got in trouble because I came home late. But... You know, I started making. You know, I grew up in Stillwater, Minnesota, Matamidi, Minnesota, and 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 I had to, you know, take a thirty. Was it thirty minutes? I don't know how far out. Thirty, forty minute drive yeah. to the city to Minneapolis in order to see anything, and so that became my life. I think in high school and beyond. Um. Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting to think back. Like I, I have distinct memories of. You know, like riding my bike to like Hollywood Video because they were they also were a music store when they first started out, and they would sell like ninety nine cent single cassettes. And you know, I'd go there on Tuesdays and grab a couple new cassettes. Or um, did they have a different name, or was it always Hollywood? It was like Hollywood Music and Video. And oh, okay. Then, and then it just became oh. Video at, at a certain point. But well, I remember 
a couple of places. I feel like there was a place called Tidal Wave. That does sound familiar, yeah. And I can't remember if Tidal Wave and Musicland, if I'm confusing them, because I feel like Musicland was like a mainstream thing. But then you had like, yeah, like the mall stores were like Sam Goody and Suncoast and. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but like but I do, I, I loved the um when they when they came out with the listening kiosk. That oh, was yeah. the, that was a cool <laughs> thing. I discovered a band called Medicine. That's like one of my favorite bands. Just literally by scrolling through that, and somehow that came up, and I liked the cover, so I started listening to it. But those things were great because then you can just, you know, listen to stuff before you bought it. Yeah, which and I mean, it's a new idea. <laughs> In in Minneapolis, I don't know, as a kid, I was growing up in the northern suburbs, so I didn't make it to, like, I don't know if the city stores, like, Electric Fetus and stuff were already rocking and rolling in, like, the early 90s. Um, they they might have had listening stations, because, you know, out west, they had, like, Tower Records and stores like mm-hmm. that that definitely were, you could take advantage of, you know, listening to the music beforehand, but, you know, growing up in the suburbs, it was like, you just kind of pick up yeah. something based on the art and <laughs> I didn't get out to the to the cities as much as I got to like like Maplewood Mall was like where I yeah. I I could get to easily because it was only like 15 minutes away or 10 minutes away um but yeah I'm now I'm blanking on it and I feel terrible but there was the the record store that was on the same block as First Avenue and I can't remember the name of it right now um but man, uh, like the Flaming Lips, when they put out Providing Needles for Your Balloons, that EP, I believe that was recorded there. A lot of bands played there. Oh, wow. And that was like the cool place. Because I don't remember getting into the fetus until maybe the late 90s. Yeah. I don't know. But I, I remember that, it was, that... there was Let It Be, which was also downtown. Mm, yeah. And I had been, I've been there, but that block has transformed. So it's like hard to imagine yeah. where this record store would have been back then. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I've got to look it up because I can't. I'm so bummed that I can't remember the name of it. Uh... But yeah, I just um, totally just remember like going to the stores and, you know, just looking at the cassettes or, you know, I think even then Hollywood was still selling maybe maybe they moved on to cds but still vinyl was kind of like on its way out but still out there so it was just kind of like random buys (laughs) vinyl um yeah i i feel like somewhere in my the back of my memory they still had vinyl early in the day like early 90s at hollywood but um yeah i never paid attention to vinyl until like maybe the I guess maybe like the mid nineties. Yeah, I mean it went it seems like it kind of went away most almost altogether during the height of CDs and then now everybody wants vinyl. Like that's the only way I'll buy something physical now is a vinyl, but <laughs> Yeah, me too. I know, isn't that weird? I though I don't understand cassette tapes. I know that, that I don't know if that's still a thing, but <laughs> I, I discovered that that was a thing a while back, and I couldn't believe it. I, yeah, how it's come back, I don't understand that either. Like, what the – I mean, I guess, ne- like, we're touching on nostalgia is just kind of, like, encompassing itself, and now everything, even the shitty media, is trying to make its way back. I mean, there is something funny about, like, something being cool because it's pointless and obsolete. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, but that's my take on it. Whereas I'm assuming that that's probably some people's take on vinyl records when the CD came out. 
But isn't right. the whole thing with vinyl? Well, I guess when the CD came out, they weren't thinking of it like in an audiophile way. But isn't the yeah. the whole thing where CDs are more compressed than a vinyl, and you can hear more depth in a vinyl? They that's what they say anyway. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I can hear much of anything anymore <laughs> these days. But I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think I think part of the problem is that I am now of a generation removed from what's happening, if not multiple generations removed. So therefore I don't, I will never understand certain things and I just have to accept that and not be like angry about it. Yeah. There's definitely, we're we're definitely both removed from, you know, what people, yeah, people are doing now as, as far as like high schoolers, what are they consuming? Are they getting Mm. back into cassettes or is that, like something that you know maybe like the early 20s are doing but yeah um, even vhs like people are collecting in vhs again and it's like like so antiquated (laughs) at this point (laughs) yeah this year i finally got rid of almost all of my cds and vhs cassettes i've been keeping everything for so long but i've never used any of it in the last 10 15 years so I I have all these DVDs and I don't even use those or Blu-rays. Like I literally, I use nothing. Yeah. So it's almost kind of like this weird junk that I've been collecting. It's just like more, more stuff in your life that you don't need. Like five or six years ago, I purged all of my CD. I was, I think I had, you know, thousands of CDs and about four or 500 Blu-ray DVDs. And it's just like, I don't watch any of these. These need to go. So now I have a very slim down collection. I think CDs I just kept things I wouldn't be able to find again or like local artists or things, you know, things that won't be out there that maybe maybe I'd like to have, but even mm. those are just sitting in a box, you know. <laughs> Wait, weren't we supposed to be nostalgic about the stuff instead of talking <laughs> shit about everything? Well, that... the, here's the thing with the nostalgic side. The VHS is though, like I've started buying like, you know, like the clamshell Disney movies and now that I'm a father, like things like that that movies that I consumed as a kid that were VHS, I just think my I'd love my kid to enjoy that format even if it's just for a short period. And that he's yeah. like, Dad, we can stream these. <laughs> yeah, make them wait while you rewind things. That's always fun. Like, I'd like to watch the original Star Wars trilogy on v- shitty VHS with him. That's the only way you can get them without the special effects, though, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, now, I'm, su- I'm assuming Disney's going to put them out at some point. Yeah, I think so. But there was a gentleman that actually took the time on his own to completely restore the originals to like blu-ray quality so i have I've heard about that but i don't know if that, is that an actual real thing or is it, is, it is i have i have copies of them but oh nice <laughs> yeah so but yeah i think there's thing there's merit in just like the nostalgia of it being a father and you know wanting him to like kind of enjoy things that i did and who knows he might not but yeah there i'll try <laughs> Yeah, I think I found already it's it's so interesting because my wife and I are like neither of us like a whole lot of color in our um, clothing. Yeah. And and so we're kind of like all black or black and gray or, you know, dark red, like whatever stuff in that vein. And um, and and my kid is just princesses and rainbows just (laughs) full on. And, you know, both of us just kind of look at each other and we're like, ugh. But then we, you know, it, like celebrate it and just I, I, I think what I've learned is that your, your kids will tell you who they are 
and it's your job to listen yeah. and to, um, you know, celebrate that and encourage that because, you know, they're not many use as much as you want to believe that they are. Yeah. You... <laughs> uh, yeah. They, they are their own person and she'll find her, her storm cloud soon enough and just want black. I mean, <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, It'll happen. There's that, that teen, those teenage years will hit her. And, um, so did you find the name of that record store? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I kind of gave up cause I, I, I was like, I don't want to spend, like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to make this like a searching uh, on Google podcast. But yeah. There's a lot, a lot one, of gaps. One thing I was thinking when I was taking a look at the, the playlist that you had made, um, mm-hmm. we both grew up around the twin cities and that like, 80s into the 90s even was such a a great scene like looking back at what artists and bands were coming up in Minneapolis but um I you know I didn't of course didn't discover them till you know I was in high school like Husker Du and the replacements and things like that that had already kind of passed um were they you went to high school you know a, a few years before I did were they in on your radar at all when you were listening to these new bands like locally were you able to see any of those bands that are now you know have become kind of legends in that no i i missed that as well i wasn't looking for it and i also like to be completely um uh honest like i didn't hear husker do until somebody mentioned that Motion City reminded them of Husker Du. And then I was like, wait a minute, they're from Minnesota. Oh, and really? so like, <laughs> I knew who they were, but I was more familiar with Sugar. And I fucking oh, okay. loved those Sugar records. Even so I'm like... kind of like a little late, like a little later, you know? And like, I think Soul Asylum, Grave Dancers Union, I think it was, I, I didn't like, I, I, I tend to like songs from a lot of those bands that everyone yeah. loves from here. Um, but uh, Somebody to Shove, I thought was a, brilliant song i loved that song when i heard that song that was amazing um and then uh the um there's there's like a part of misery incorporated mm-hmm. love that uh i think it's just the the is it ah shoot i can't remember right now but you know there's like pieces of songs and songs i like of certain bands um and then i think the first replacements record i heard was the last one so that didn't <laughs> yeah. yeah and so it took took me a while to go backwards but I, I remember hearing the paul westerberg songs on uh the single soundtrack uh which is also oh, a great yeah. soundtrack yeah it is um uh i was gonna say soundtracks actually we could even touch on that soundtracks were kind of a great way throughout the 90s to hear those artists that you know might not have been on your radar i know like kind of in the same vein of you know those artists that you put on this playlist that the soundtrack that hit me at that time was um, there was this movie called Angus and I now, yeah. I now have that soundtrack on vinyl, but um, the bands that were on there, like the, the big finale in that movie was um, Maisie star. Like fate, was it fade, fade into you or really? Um, yeah. Oh, they, wow. I guess I, I know that this movie exists. I've never seen it and I'd never seen the soundtrack. Yeah. And like bands like, the Goo Goo Dolls before I knew who they were and you know um Weezer was on there in Green Day like um that song Jar which was really good or J-A-R and it's just okay. like it kind of opened up me to like this whole world of like you said alternative music but <laughs> even I think even the Smoking Popes were on that soundtrack really 
Yeah. Wow. I get, and I feel like I, I, I can't remember. I, I think Mallrats had a soundtrack too, but I can't remember what songs were on it. Yeah. And I think, I, I think, yeah, I'm trying. I know that the weird one, but I knew the bands that were on it, I think. Um, but there were some real bonker bands on, um, the Batman three. What was that one? The Joel Schumacher one, the, Batman, Batman and Robin, or Batman, no, Batman Forever. Batman Forever. Yeah, that was it. Because that had both the Flaming Lips. Uh, I think it was it Bad Days. I think Bad Days was on there from Clouds Taste Metallic, and then a fucking um, uh, 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 Sunny Day Real Estate oh, was wow. on that soundtrack, which was weird. But I, I, yeah, I don't know if they were a Warner band. Because I think Warner Brothers put it out. Mm. I could be wrong though. I don't really know how that stuff works. Uh, now I, anyway, I'm so curious. I want to look at the Batman Forever soundtrack. Yeah. So look it up. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, the the Offspring, Messy Star, Seal, Brandy. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? That Seal song is awesome. I, oh yeah. I, I mean I that's like... that is the definitive Seal song. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> And I'm not even like a fan, you know, I don't really know, I don't celebrate his entire catalog, but I, I like that song. You're right, Sunny um, Day Real Estate, The Flaming Lips, like, close out that soundtrack. That's so I know. random. It's just weird. <laughs> yeah, well, the that, cave. I mean, did you have an experience with, uh, like, scamming Columbia House as a kid or as a youth? <laughs> I don't think I was smart enough to scam them. I think I just like actually paid for everything oh, and then man. i was like oh this is a bad idea and then i would cancel it <laughs> i think i did uh, i did do the, like the 12 cds for a penny and then like never bought the one that you're supposed to <laughs> mm-hmm. um but I, I just remember getting things like the crow soundtrack and um... oh that's another one <laughs> that soundtrack is good yeah because that had medicine on it yeah it's, it was there was a lot of like heavy heavier stuff that i hadn't been exposed to on that soundtrack yeah and that um that cure song is really good oh the cure and the cure is a band also that i like totally missed it during the years that i probably should have loved them like as a emo high schooler but i didn't yeah, find, my, find them till college <laughs> yeah my high school like again i think the the album of the cure that i heard first was the friday i'm in love oh, yeah. whatever album that was wish 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 I want to say it's Wish, but I, don't I am know. terrible with like full album names. I I totally just know songs. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I I don't know if we're following your format well, or <laughs> no. if this has just been a train wreck. No, yeah, every 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 podcast we do is just kind of a conversation tangent. Okay, but good. Yeah, good. The I I saw just saw the Cure for the first time like three years ago, and they sounded phenomenal. I mean, it's hard. The music they do is probably hard not to sound exactly the same you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. but so we kind of yeah we kind of went away from where we were but essentially i just wanted people to get a feel of you know how you kind of got to where you were and i know like we've talked on the music and they can follow your playlists on spotify um they can find you at uh on instagram you keep pimping the the podcast what and you're on instagram is it jcp 
MCS. I, I didn't. Yeah, I like. Yeah, I, I don't know. Josh, I, like these things got set up, and I didn't know what they were, and then now I actually use them. So I <laughs> don't know. But change, I, I feel you like change that name at any time. You, it's like I can. Okay, <laughs> that was like a big deal to change your name. I, I, I don't, don't think anyone probably, unless someone stole it from you, they probably don't have your full name as a Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I also don't. Do I care? Yeah, I don't do know. Care? It's so long to type. <laughs> it's shorter if it's just six letters. So yeah, so you, I feel like it's people, either Justin Courtney Pierre or JCP MCS. People can find the playlist there, but essentially it got to a point recently where you mentioned how you started working at a video store and kind of like film took over your life. And I mean, music was probably still there, but you started discovering indie film and stuff and you mentioned you worked at a video update which may be regional but to me video update played a big part of my youth as well that and blockbuster <laughs> yeah video update blockbuster hollywood video um there i don't do you remember the there was that place in over by triple rock there was a video rental place that had all these crazy foreign films oh wow there was also one over by Loring Park. Anybody who's not like from Minnesota is not going to really know what we're talking about. But um, like a few of these crazy like art house video rental places were amazing because you could just see shit that you'd never, never, you know, obviously all this stuff you can find online now. But yeah. um, but back then, I think like 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 Blockbuster edited their movies for content. I think uh, Video Update was the only video place I think that's rented porn. But I think like. Yeah, it was like really weird. Yeah, there, there's some that's a whole other story. I remember there was a guy that worked. Okay, so my friend Matt. Thompson yeah, so and let's I, get into <laughs> you working at Video Update because there's probably like oh god a million stories there. But oh uh, shit. <laughs> so what age were you when you took that job? Was that after high school or? Yeah, so let's see. High school, I graduated barely in '94. Went to college at Moorhead State University because it was one of five state schools I could actually get into that would accept me. I. <laughs> I dropped out after like two and a half or three months. I just, I had a mental breakdown because I could, I didn't, I stopped going to classes and I didn't do any of the homework and then I just didn't, I just had no plan. And then School I begged my, for you. <laughs> no, so I begged my parents to let me not go back and then I stayed with them for a while and then in 95, I moved out into a house with a bunch of people and I don't really remember what happened other than I was taking a lot of over-the-counter speed and not sleeping for days on end and I would rent six movies you could rent six movies I, I think on Tuesdays they were like a two dollar like a dollar a movie so for wow. six dollars you could rent six movies at video update and then I, I had two VCRs and I would just go home and I would um, and I would just duplicate all of them and I would sort of collect these movies and I amassed this crazy collection of movies and then I would watch them when I had time uh, and and yeah, and I just started consuming movies and I didn't have a job. I just ran through my bank account and took drugs and watched movies and wrote, made music, wrote music and <laughs> recorded it and wrote screenplays that were garbage. So, uh, I mean, you were basically like in a roundabout way. Maybe people didn't do all the drug part, but you were basically living your your uh, early 20s and not knowing what the hell you wanted to do with your life like most of us did. <laughs> yeah, and it was, I mean, it wasn't like crazy drugs, but it was yeah. just sort of like, I was just really lonely and miserable and whacked out and didn't really know what I was doing. And then eventually just realized like I couldn't keep doing this. And I think I, I, think I told my 
dad, I was like, I have a problem with drugs. And like, nobody <laughs> believed me. Oh, wow. Um, you know, because it was like over the counter. So it didn't really count. It wasn't like cocaine or whatever. And and so I ended up going to it. I like checked into a treatment facility. I think I was, was I nine, 19? 19. And they put me with the adults. I could have gone either way, but they put me with the adults. And that was like the first time I sort of got my shit together, but it didn't stay together. And so as, as soon as I got out of there, um, I moved out. I, no, I, I think I'd moved back in with my parents. Yeah. And I was with my parents for a while. I ended up working for them again. Um, they own an embroidery company and I got a job at video update, the same one that I rented all these movies from every Tuesday. And, and so, uh, and yeah, it was really weird. And then somebody that I, a friend of a friend that I knew from college worked there too. And I was like, Oh, did you drop out? And she said, yeah. And I was like, me too. <laughs> um, and so, so I knew somebody there and then I ended up getting a job and it was great. Cause I could rent all these movies for free and all the new movies that came in, you could rent before people got them. I think they came in on Monday and then on Tuesday they went out or so I forget how it all worked, but, uh, and then I met my, my BFF Matt Thompson there, he was one of the guys that worked there and he was such a like, he was so uptight about, about film and like, he just had all these rules and like art films are important and like this bullshit Hollywood shit is bullshit. You know, you just he met your, so... your first like pretentious film snob and yeah, but I think we helped each other. Cause yeah. I think that he had, I think he had, I think he would admit it, but I think he had some issues and like, he just wasn't good with like human beings, you oh, know, okay. and I wasn't either, but I could, I could fake it better than he could. Yeah. And, and, and like he was super pretentious and I was like super unpretentious. And mm. so I think I introduced him to the idea that Hollywood could still make good shit every now and again. And he definitely introduced me to stuff that no one would watch, yeah. you know? Um, You're probably and, spending time like me in high school. I, I worked at a movie theater and I got to see everything for free and I met, well, one of my still best friends, Jesse, who I'll do, the, I do a number of the episodes of the podcast with, um, but he was, you know, all film. He was reading Roger Ebert's books and consuming critics uh, information about film and seeing all the films. And he just opened me up to like, we're spending time at the lagoon and like the uptown and like, <laughs> like probably places that you and Matt ended up as well, like going to see yeah. these art house films and. Yeah, and oh. then eventually he ended up getting a job at at like I think it was at the up no the lagoon lagoon yeah. or uptown or both that, I think they're interchangeable. Does the lagoon still exist? Yeah, 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 they they both exist. Actually, my friend Rich Gill, um, who is one of the worst, uh, um, even by his own admission, one of the worst merch people that Motion City has ever had. <laughs> um, back in the day, I think he spent more time getting drunk than being at the merch table. <laughs> but this is like in the early two thousand, like two two thousand two thousand one somewhere in there. Um, I'm guessing, but he kind of, I, he's not like the head guy, but he's pretty high up there in that place. And he runs the, um, the sound and scene. He's one of the main guys at oh, okay. uh, the sound and scene film festival now. Yeah. I have been to the uptown since they like redid the inside. Oh. God, it's um, so nice. Yeah. It's like a legit updated movie theater as far as seating goes, but you're still in this old movie house, which is really cool. Yeah, they kept a lot of it, I guess, whatever they could. And then, like, the stuff that they upgraded was were the seats, which needed yeah. it desperately. Yeah. I do. Um, I mean, nostalgia, of course. I, I, I miss the the 
just plain old like inclined seating, not stadium. Like, <laughs> but you miss the um the um the the springs in your back and oh, like yeah, yeah, every time yeah. somebody moves, just this. <laughs> yeah, just, like, I'm, that o- sound I'm okay with more comfort now as a 36 year old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like uh, uh, I think I saw the the movie last movie I went to there was probably like Miami Connection, which is like this bizarre like kind of like uh. Uh, kung fu movie where their their the mouth doesn't sync up with the the oh, words yeah. like but it was kind of a comedy at the same time and it was like set in the 80s and it was really bizarre but yeah the the uptown man i spent so much time there in the, the lagoon just seeing independent cinema which is kind of like now at this point you just you see it by streaming it mostly like those kind of yeah. like, those art house cinemas are kind of like kind of going by the wayside. Cause it's hard to get people to those, let alone like the blockbusters that these days, it's hard to get people into the multiplexes. So, um, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, there, I feel like the nineties, you, like you were saying, Hollywood still was making decent shit, so to speak. I think, I think they kind of lost well, I their think way it was a, here, but there was a resurgence in yeah. the '90s of like the. I think okay, the, and I'm not a film scholar, and I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But these are just nah. I, I tend to base everything off of like gut feeling yeah. and emotion. But the the '90s, I think it may have started sooner, but I think the the film that 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 started it for me anyway, Sex Lies and Videotape, when that came out by Steven Soderbergh. I feel like that was the beginning of the 90s independent film uh, balloon or whatever you want to call it, that they sort of started not in the same way, but I felt like it was kind of like the 70s where people would hire these great auteurs or directors and just throw a bunch of money at them and say, go make whatever, right? And there was that guy that they made the movie about, the kid stays in the picture, I can't think of his name, but that guy just basically hired just these just whoever and said here make make some movies go yeah. ahead it's a bunch of money go make a movie kid and and i think in the 90s that started happening with you know you saw like spike lee um steven soderbergh uh kevin smith um uh richard linklater yeah I mean, hal hartley i mean i don't know if his films were as accessible but like he was making yeah there's just so much cool shit going on and i guess that's not necessarily hollywood but i think now, let's see. I would say that maybe five, ten years ago, that started happening again, but on television. Mm, and so yeah. now, now it's like blowing up. So now Hollywood's invaded, invading television. But I think that it's so interesting. Like every twenty years, this thing, like something starts happening where something new happens at the bottom and sort of works its way to the to the mainstream. That that definitely makes sense as far as you're saying invading television because it's totally seems like uh it's not about like are you a film actor are you a television actor it's kind of just is the work good uh or let's go to the best project and you see like like uh, fucking sean penn is on a hulu series now yeah that's that's like (laughs) relatively new yeah because like even like 20 years ago that was there was no way a film actor like a tv actor could get a job in film yeah like you had to be very lucky um yeah, and now they're just all over the place. I mean, Netflix is pretty much taking over television and film. <laughs> yeah, I did. And I don't know. I get these updates from ASCAP, and I don't know if this means anything or not. But 
I, there was something about Apple. I wish I could remember what it was, but Apple's, I don't know if it's a secret, but they've been purchasing and creating a bunch of content but haven't released any of it yet. They've been really? holding on to it. Yeah, or something, or or or, or they're about to film stuff. But they, they're basically, man, this sucks because like, I don't know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> any, anybody who's smart can look it up, but well, Apple's been doing something, and they've acquired this company and that company and they're about to basically within the next few years take over the video like basically they're on point to take over and become more profitable than spotify and then also add to it like their own version of like netflix and also add to it like books or something like they're oh, basically geez. going to become the new thing well, it's um, like, or they would they hope to I, yeah i mean who Net knows if, you know yeah who knows but it seems like it'd be hard to do it better than, you know, say like Amazon or Netflix are already doing it. But um, but they also did create this whole thing of like deciding a song costs 99 cents yeah, and that people yeah. would buy them. And it's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. So I, who knows? I'm not like pro Apple or against Apple. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting that somebody was saying, Hey, look out. Cause well, they're just check this there keeps coming like a new, a new format. Now we have to like, see what it, Disney is going to have its own streaming thing. And you're, I know, you know we're like... just going to have to buy everything. It <laughs> sucks. Yeah. Or it's... maybe just get rid of television and movies all together and then just crawl in a hole and be sad. Maybe people read books again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the end of, uh, Oh, what is that movie? The Ben Stiller cable guy. Oh yeah. Cable guy. Such a brilliant, brilliant, that's another one of its time where it's like what like this Jim Carrey starring like wacky thing is like a lot darker and deeper than you thought it was going to be. But totally like a 90s move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. But there were I mean, all those move like you brought up like singles or reality bites or even Kevin Smith. Those were all like Hollywood funded, but they were more like indie movies, it seemed like. Yeah, but I. Yeah, that's interesting. Caught a bad case of rental sting. I'll consume nearly anything. Shovel me up and take me home. Parasite blue on broken back. Doubling down on their attack. Nowhere to run, just watch us choking down the long December things no one remembers i can't wait to shove you in the drink needle to death as oceans bleed same as before but now it seems try to defend it as we sever all the ties that bind us just to find more ties behind us i can't wait to shove you in the drink but going back to like you starting to consume film and working at the video store, like, oh yeah, I mean, what was it like? Like my, my wife actually was like, you should ask him, did he pick up a lot of chicks? Uh, like, <laughs> no, I don't think I had a, I didn't have a girlfriend forever. Like working yeah, at a video store, these girls come in to rent some romantic comedy. You weren't getting some digits or. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't know how to talk to anyone um i think honestly i was more interested in like either doing drugs or or getting drunk or or watching or consuming or creating i was yeah. kind of in i've always sort of been in 
the creation or destruction, uh, <laughs> not necessarily the just maintaining, um, or what I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but I think that the I'm trying to think if there's anything exciting. I I, I get the time uh, timeline messed up too because I I remember I was living in this sub like level basement <laughs> garden apartment. apartment yeah <laughs> yeah well it was like at my head was where the the window started and, mm-hmm. and I could see feet out the window and that was about it and it was just really tiny windows and you could just see people walking out to their cars and I was living with my friend John Hansen and he was I think he worked for BMG and he was very like he just he was he got shit done and I just was this fuck up and um and I think I oh god I'm just trying to remember like what happened but I was still like not fully functioning and somehow I remember going through like this I don't even think it was the city pages yet what was it before the city pages maybe it was the city pages but I was going through something and I was like looking at jobs and like acting and you know PAs and this and that and I, I kept I was circling stuff and um I think this was after treatment so I was like kind of better but then I wasn't and then I got you know I don't know it, it's so hazy but I ended up getting a job on a film called Snow that was directed by Eric Tretbar hmm. and that was here and I remember it was in the winter and I remember it was it was like there was one guy the focus puller had just come from Fargo so this was 95. I think it was 95 when we shot this. Mm-hmm. And then the wardrobe was like Mighty Ducks 3. Mighty, one of the Mighty Ducks movies. And all, all these people had come from these big movies, but they wanted to work on something cool and independent. And they're working for no money because they just wanted to do something rad instead of, you know, I don't know. I don't know what they were doing. But maybe this guy just pulled a lot of favors. But uh, the cinematographer was a guy named Phil Harder. And he... Like one day, uh, somebody didn't show up as what happened, you know, when you got a bunch of people working for free. And so the, 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 the assistant director, somebody said, Hey, can you go help Phil today? You'll, you'll, you'll be his assistant. I'm like, okay, cool. So I just hung around with the cinematographer all day and he showed me how to like, you know, this is how you pick up a lens. This is how you give a lens. This is how you receive the lens. This is what you say when you do it. This, you know, copy that or whatever. I don't know. All these things. Mm-hmm. And he would tell me about like, oh, we use a 35 millimeter lens for this kind of thing. And like, if you want to do this, you use it. And he just would just tell me all this stuff. And, and, uh, and yeah. And, and then I kind of ask him about, I'm like, oh, so how'd you get into this? And he's like, oh, I just, I was like shooting, you know, skateboard videos for, my friends and then I just kind of you know got into stuff and yeah you know he just was very vague and then and then I kind of told him about my life and then he said hey if you want to like know about it there's this great school that nobody knows about called Minneapolis Community and Technical College and they have all this film equipment that's just sitting there waiting for people to rent it out if you go to the U of M you're going to spend a fortune and you don't even get to touch equipment for two years oh wow so I was like oh damn it's like (laughs) okay I'll check it out so you know the, the film wraps and uh, I think that I, you know, I ended up getting a job at Video Update, or maybe I was working there too. I can't remember how this this all works, but eventually I ended up going to MCTC in either late '95 or early '96. And I didn't think to look up Phil Harder until later, but then I found out that this guy had directed video, music videos for like Low and the Afghan Wigs and all these. And he never said any of this stuff. Oh like wow! To, he was just said like it was so weird, you know. And he's gone on to like 
he did that incubus video where the guy's drawing his hand or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that one. And he's uh, the Foo Fighters, Liz Fair, Prince, like Soul Sign. I don't know. He's he's like huge, but this guy just talked to me like I was a, you know, equal or if not an equal, just a person. And it was really great. And he had a huge effect on me. Just he kind of pointed me in a direction, and then I went to that film school. And uh, and even though I, I I I more or less failed in the film department, I learned a lot from the screenwriting courses that I took and applied them into storytelling and lyric writing in you know Motion City. So it all kind of worked out, however it did. Uh, I think for the first three Motion City records, I referred to myself as a failed filmmaker instead of a succeeding musician. <laughs> uh, but then I finally came around. I mean, you can, you can be a man of many hats, so I'm glad you've, you've found your way. <laughs> but now, now I yeah. just want to see this movie snow. Cause I actually found it on IMDb. It looks, it sounds pretty cool about, yeah, I don't know if it's actually available anywhere. I have a copy, I think on VHS, uh, <laughs> that the director lent me once. Cause I ran into him years later in Los Angeles oh, and, wow. and yeah. And I was like, Hey, do you have a copy of that? He's like, here you go. Right. Um, I have them on me at all times. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, it's I. Okay. I didn't run into him. I. I. I knew. I. I had a friend, and then we were talking. A new friend from L.A. And she. Somehow his name came up, and I was like, "Wait, you know that guy?" And she's like, "Yeah. Actually, he's having a party tomorrow night. Do you want to go?" And I was like, "Yeah, let's go." And then so, and I was like, "Oh, so I went to his house. So, that's why he had him." I know it's not like important that i tell you this the details but <laughs> but just so he's not you know he wasn't like walking around with them in his pocket uh yeah it looks like that phil harder like worked with low and you mentioned the afghan wigs and mm-hmm. wow it's kind of a yeah it's so random i mean just collection. for me anyway that like i don't know how i ended up on there because i was just i i made the coffee i like picked up the donuts in the morning so how did this guy not direct a motion city video? <laughs> oh, he was too far too big. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are like million dollar videos that he was doing back when people made million dollar videos and we never had that budget. Yeah, cuz it looks like he had a good run from like 97 to 2014 and now it looks like he's been doing actual feature. He has a couple of post productions right now, a documentary and Yeah. He just did a lot of cool low videos. The, I, I think one of my favorites is Canada. You should check out that video. Okay. There's just something about it. I love how like blown out it is and the colors, the reds. Um, but yeah. yeah I can see, uh, even in your go from like Motion City to the videos that we've been seeing for the the new record coming out, like there's definitely a independent cinema kind of inspired feel to everything you do as video wise, which, you know, I really enjoy. And you could tell that you're a man that, you know, appreciates like visual mediums, like video. It's not just yeah over the over budgeted, glossy music video. that if I had the money, (laughs) but I, Epitaph said, here's your video budget. I'm like, cool. Can I make 10 instead of one? And they're like, yeah, if you think you can pull it off. Oh, that's awesome. And I lied and I said, yeah, of course. But my buddy Shane Nelson, um, he, it is a fun fact maybe, uh, but Shane who directed, he we're either co-directing or I'm directing or he's directing all of these. And I, I don't really care about the title so much, but 
I think most of these ideas started with me saying, here's the general thing. And then he would go and write it. And then he would say, okay, I'm going to direct this and this is what I'm thinking. And then I would say, can we do this, this? And he'd say, yes, no, um, here's why, uh, what if we do that? And so we kind of like talk it out and then, um, and then he, you know, like once we settled on something, then I could no longer change it. Um, and if he was in charge and then if I was in charge, I could do whatever I wanted, but you know, he would be more of, he would act more as a producer and a, a cameraman. Um, but I've known him since he was a, he was a PA on the future freaks me out video. Mm. And, and he was a friend of my sister's, I believe. And we sort of became friends. He was, he used to be a, uh, he was a professional snow, no, he was a professional rollerblader for like a year, but then oh, developed wow. epilepsy. And, and he had, and I, I don't know anything about epilepsy except for what he's told me, but there's so many various kinds of things. And sometimes like, I, I don't know if always or sometimes, but there are trigger points and his is in his foot. Mm. So if he hits it too hard or something, he can have a seizure. So he couldn't rollerblade anymore. But he probably and, really loved the movie Airborne, right? Loved it. Loved it. Uh, but he was always the guy, I think, that like shot all the stuff that his friends would do, oh, right? Awesome. And so he kind of just – it just made sense. He transitioned into that. But he's super smart and super – he just knows his shit, and he knows how to make a dollar turn into two or three. And so – you know, I, I came to him with this idea. I'm like, hey, do you want to direct 10 music videos? Uh, he's like, no, but I'll help you. Uh, no, but he's, he's, yeah, he's been amazing. And uh, now, none, did you work with this? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, none of this shit would have happened if he had said no. Uh, <laughs> um, did you work with him? I know that you've, you did some shorts yourself as a director in the past. Was he yeah. involved in those as well? Everything I've ever done film wise he's been involved in because i can't do anything on my own <laughs> I, I don't understand technology i'm more of an idea person yeah i have and the idea work. <laughs> yeah i can write a story i can write dialogue i can put together the thing on paper but i need somebody else to sort of figure out like help me figure out how it's gonna actually happen yeah and then and and then i see what they put together and i go okay, but instead, can we do this with the camera and we do that with the camera? But, um, you know, like I did this movie called Karen. It's not good, but <laughs> it, 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 originally it was a 30-minute short that was black and white, and he made me try to make it as, as like, you know, I think we got it down to 17. It was like 20-some pages, and we shot two and a half days straight, the whole thing, and we did it, and it, we did like 20 some pages in two and a half days, which is ridiculous. But, and each sort of, it's just like a, it's like a story of a woman that's kind of visiting a bunch of her friends throughout one day. And, wow. and, and each scene she has with one of her friends is a different kind of vibe. I don't know. I don't, as I'm talking about this, I'm like, this is not very interesting and nobody's seen it. And I don't <laughs> if anybody will. Yeah, but, I still haven't seen the damn yeah. thing. And I remember when you were making it. I, I'm just proud that like we actually pulled it off. Yeah. So therefore I give myself uh, like a, maybe a C for just the fact that it got like pulled off. But he talked me into doing it in color and we actually shot on film. Yeah. The first two films I did, I, we actually shot on film and then oh, everything cool. else has been digital. But yeah, nobody's seen anybody. There's one of four short films that I've done that is, I think, watchable. Well, not watchable, oh, but, sure. but it's, it's, <laughs> 
like I, I don't hate it. Not that I hate the other ones. I just don't. Yeah, but you're not. I mean, I guess as the director, you kind of have to watch them. But a lot of actors don't watch their own thing. Maybe, maybe you just need to let people see it. Maybe it's you're the only one that hates them. <laughs> well, it's it's not. I shouldn't say hate. I'm just like you know what. I think I can do better. Yeah. But I've also realized that I don't think I'm a good. I'm not as good as a director as I am a person who writes. Mm. So, and I think you know, in seeing like like Josh Kane's brother. Jesse directed a bunch of music videos for us and he's so chill and he's just like, yeah, Hey, you guys go over there do that thing. Okay. You come here. Yeah. Do that. Oh shit. They're shooting fireworks off. Hey, you two actors come here. We're going to go shoot this real quick. Um, like he's just so chill. Like I, I remember we did, he shot the true romance video and we had this car that we rented, but we couldn't get into it. And so, um, they called Epitaph to say, like, hey, can we spend another grand and that we could just buy the car from them and that way we can cut it in half? And they're like, <laughs> yeah, sure, go ahead. And so they're trying to figure out how to cut this car in half. And then Jesse comes out. He's like, why isn't this thing finished? And they're like, well, we can't get the thing. He's like, oh, fucking give it to me. And he stands on top of this car and just, like, takes one of those, I, I don't know, like, jaws of life kind of thing. But it's like this weird, like, chainsaw for metal. And yeah. he just, like, he's like, saws the car in half. So he took the roof off from the like the the front of where the the driver and passengers sit like right above the the glass to halfway back so that the camera person could get in and out of the car in one shot and to so, be able yeah, to get those uh shots of you two in the back seat yeah oh, wow. yeah and then to like walk out of the car because there's no way they could fit inside and underneath the car so wow, there's nothing crazy. there yeah, yeah. I think only one person got hit by a car um, <laughs> because we were, we were in Boston. I, no, not Boston. Where were we? So, I forget where we uh, – it escapes me. But there was yeah. a, somebody blocking traffic and then the car that he was trying to block, he didn't give a shit and just like ran at him and like hit him. Uh, anyway, sorry. That was a tangent. Um, but Shane Nelson directed the music video for A Lifeless Ordinary. Just fun fact. So you mentioned your you, so this new album it's called In a Drink it comes out October twelfth. Uh, you're gonna have a video for each track on the album. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, there's like some half of them are actual videos. The other half are more like art installations, <laughs> uh, like lyric videos without the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could throw the lyrics on there too if you're. Really... <laughs> I could, but I just I don't really. Yeah. That's be, that's so weird that that's become a thing with like. Uh, like video on our phones becoming so prevalent. It's like, well, let's just make a lyric video and throw it out because it's cheap and we can do it quick. And mm-hmm. um, but I digress. But going from you know working at the video store, getting into film, going to film school, and getting, uh, I mean, you you had done slide coaster and making music, and then getting Motion City going, that was, you know, kind of like the late 90s, right? 97? Yeah. Or... I, Josh actually found me at Video Update oh, in wow. 97. <laughs> so this, and I we, we've talked about this before, but I don't know how much is like the details in there, but he had a band called Saddest Girl Story, which is on the Emo Diaries. I don't know if this was later on, but like this band, like that, that thing came out, but I think it came out after the band had already broken up. Uh-huh. So, so I don't understand it, but he had this band and in that band was the singer of that band ended up being the drummer of minus the bear, Aaron Tate. Mm-hmm. And then the guitarist of that band 
was Aaron's brother, Noel Tate. And then Noel started a band here called Hidden Chord, and then he had another band called A Skeleton. He's got a mm-hmm. new band now called Deleter. Um, oh, I love he's, he's super I pretty much love everything Noel does, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Uh, and I actually just finally got to work with him for the first time because he 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 did uh, something that I worked on that isn't available yet, and I'm not sure when it will be available. <laughs> but I'm really excited, and I hope to do more with him. Awesome. Uh, so I was basically hired, well, not hired, but Josh Josh Kane sought me out. Because we had our high school bands that played with each other, you know, over the years in the mid, early mid '90s, and he, so he found me a video update and asked me to fill in for both Aaron and Noel. But instead of being two people, I was one that could play guitar and sing. And I had a practice, and I think somebody from Snapcase was in that band too. Like it was really, really weird. Wow, <laughs> Dust, Dustin, Dustin, uh, I want to say Dustin Perrier or something. But which is weird because like my name's Justin Pierre, so it's kind of confusing. <laughs> but so there, there was all, like there were, and then two of the other guys, the guitar player and and Josh, Josh was playing bass in this outfit. But the other guitar player and drummer started a band called Amp One Seven Six, and so they, like it was a very short-lived thing. I don't think I was right for this band that they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So that this Dustin guy ended up leaving, the guitar player and the. Uh, drummer started their own band, Amp 176, and then so Josh and I, by default, were like, well, let's do something else, and so that's how Motion City kind of started, because this other thing didn't work. Um, and so, yeah, so between 97 and 2002, we wrote a bunch of songs and went through a slew of drummers and uh, a couple think, of big players. <laughs> I think I saw you... Um, God, I probably met both of you in line going to a seventh street entry show um and then somehow heard about the band and ended up seeing you in maybe like 98 99 or something Um, okay it would have been at one of three places (laughs) uh no i I feel like we played duluth uh i'm trying to remember where it was no i guess i might be confusing high school with uh with this but yeah I, i feel like the only shows we got were opening for Amp 176. Who, I don't even know if Who Cadillac... I loved, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they're so good. Um, but yeah, Cadillac Blindside was around too. Or... Yeah, or Hidden Chord. Like, I feel like all of our friends were in these bands that were actually good and that people liked. And then nobody <laughs> liked us, but they were like, wow, we should probably just, let's just be nice to give them a show. You guys, yeah, like, it's not that you guys weren't weren't liked, or I think you were still just finding the lineup and forming as a band. But the I sound, mean, we the sound too. was already starting to kind of find itself. Yeah, I mean, when when we started, we were writing seven minute long songs that were like <laughs> really bad, like Sunny Day Real Estate meets Jawbox and and uh, um, what's the, uh, Jim, Jimmy Eat World. Like Josh well, kind of sat sat me down once, and he's like hey, listen to these bands. And then he played me Get Up Kids, Promise Ring, Jimmy Eat World. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I was like, this Get Up Kids sounded like Super Chunk. Okay. Yeah. But different. And then it's like Jimmy Eat World. I like what I like what's going on with all these weird like bells and stuff. Oh, and then the the big thing that like that Josh said, like he showed he played me the Return of the Rentals album. Oh god. And that was the album that did it. I was like, oh shit. And he's like, we gotta get one of these. And so we sought out the the realistic Radio Shack Moog keyboard, the MG1. 
Yeah, and I remember how chaotic it was. You were playing guitar, singing, and playing the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was not pretty, but it was fun. It was, you know, I looked like I was doing a lot, but I was just doing everything badly. You were still just moving your arms around a lot, dancing as well. So. <laughs> Probably, because I forget what to do. Yeah, because I, I remember, I think I saw you at, like, the Foxfire and Dinky Towner and, like, all these oh, damn. random, like, I think you even opened for, like, what was the Hawaii show? It was like part play, part band. <laughs> yeah, that was, oh yeah, that was the guy from Lifter Polar. Not Dan, not Craig, not Tad. Can't remember his name, but the oh, other really? guy. Uh, I think so, yeah. I... Um. Yeah, that was weird where I think he lip synced to everything, but then he had all these like blow up. There were like signs and like, yeah, it was like. Yeah, it was like weird. It was like performance art. Yeah, it really kinda. was. But, but... but the songs were kind of interesting. Yeah, I remember, I think that was maybe the Dinky Towner show, which is probably yeah. the only time I'd ever been inside of that place. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, you guys were just finding what would eventually become Motion City Soundtrack and getting a lineup together. And um, well, I think I think once we like once I th- we played a show with a band called Ultimate Fake Book, and when I heard them. This was, and I, I know that they probably hate this, but somebody introduced them to me as like they do Weezer better than Weezer, and this is like between the the Pinkerton and the Green album, mm. so there was no Weezer really yeah. to be had, and so the Ultimate Fake Book, I heard him, I was like, oh yeah, this is like hilarious, but also like um uh, like i don't want to say sentimental but it's like oh this like tugs at my heartstrings but it's also really funny and it's it's like tongue-in-cheek but it's serious like i don't know it's kind of all over the place and I, I really dug them and we got the opportunity to open up for them and they were super nice and uh i think i think this is how it went down or i saw them again my brain is not good and i can't remember what really happened but uh i just remember going oh i like how he kind of like flips up into his head voice and back and like i'm trying to scream all the time and i just can't do it i never have voice i'm gonna try that and so i kind of pretty much just stole that from him and i think he probably stole it from cheap trick but (laughs) but it's so yeah i don't know but i i I think they had a pretty big effect on us in terms of um even that first seven i think we did it before that first seven inch the promenade carolina thing yeah so i think that's where i I was doing the falsetto thing and I eventually figured it out a little better than it is on there. But, um, yeah, yeah. I think that's a long winded way of saying, I think you're right. We were kind of stumbled around for a while. And then once we met Matt and Tony, uh, it all, you know, and Jesse, that's when it kind of all kind of came into place, fell into place. And is history, history, right? So does we... Yeah, something, <laughs> something happened. And, uh, yeah, I mean, are you now where you're at these days? I was, I was going to ask you as well. Have you, are you a collector of anything yourself? I know you just purged all of your videos and CDs, but do you find yourself, um, going back or wanting to collect anything that is nostalgic or reminding you of? A time gone by. <laughs> no, I think tradition is pointless. Burn it all down. Uh, no, I I don't really collect anything. I think that um, I mean, just it, yeah, nothing where like there's a, an end an end game. Yeah. Uh, like I'm just looking around my 
room, my office here, and I found an old poster of a woman under the influence um, that I found at a weird, uh, I think I found it in Portland, walking around some sort of like junk sale, like this weird poster. So I've got that. Um, uh, I've got a cutout of um, the 10th Doctor, Doctor Who, David Tennant. Um, <laughs> I, met, I met the 11th Doctor, but not the 10th Doctor. <laughs> I didn't meet the 10th Doctor, but my wife and I did go to London, and we saw him in a play, and it was, I was like, I'm breathing the same air as him. Uh, I didn't say that, but I, I thought it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really collect, yeah, there's nothing I really collect, things that just kind of happen. I've been buying a lot more vinyl record. Yeah, vinyl. do you have? A, are you amassing a good vinyl? And I, you seem like you've always kind of been someone that's reading. Do you have a lot of? Oh my god! Since up? I had a kid, maybe you can. <laughs> like, I haven't read a book since I had a kid. Yeah, I have. I, mean, I have several that I've purchased and have yet to crack open. <laughs> yeah, it's been tough. I mean, I've read maybe like five books since she was born, which I used to read about like twenty, thirty a year. Maybe no, maybe that's an exaggeration. Kind of uh, to your because you were doing like a podcast with your wife about books, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, we were trying to do something, and then I think it became more work than fun for her, and it became it it became more stressful than enjoyable for us. Oh, okay. And so I just think that like my goals and what I wanted to do versus what she wanted to do were different. <sighs> But I think she said that she she's interested in returning to it at some point if it can be fun. When you guys um, could actually read again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just it. But I do have I'm I'm looking forward to touring because whenever I, I I fly or travel I read, so I just don't have time. And actually, since being like my own, I, d I don't have a manager. I have a team. I've got Epitaph, which is great. They do mm. all the stuff that I don't know how to do, like make these really smart looking video clips to like throw up online and, and help me like put together the email list blasts. Yeah. Which I don't understand any of that stuff. I'm just like, here, this is what I want to say. Can you make it pretty? Um, <laughs> uh, and, and so I have that, but I pretty much like, I don't have anybody doing anything like, um, I guess I, I'm, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know the point of what I'm saying <laughs> other than uh, if you write to me online, I'm the one responding. Cause yeah. I get these people saying like, I know this is not you and this is probably your whatever. And I'm like, no, I, it's all me. I still do that myself. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're, uh, can people expect uh, a full band on this tour is yes. I put and see, and here's the other thing. It's like, I, I put things out into the world, but I don't know how many people are actually seeing or, you know, consuming this stuff, but, uh, I'm doing a full band, uh, and it consists of some people, I, old friends and new friends. Um, nice. I've got Tommy Rabine who was, is, was, is the guitar player of Farewell Continental. He's got a project called Robo Sapien. That's really awesome that everyone should check out. Yeah, it's cool. Um, it's so good. Uh, he is playing guitar and I've got a woman that I did not know before we met uh, who is, her name is Lydia Liza and she plays guitar and she's going to be doing most of the harmonies. Um, and then uh, the drummer who played on the record, David Jarnstrom, he's going to, he's going to be there. He's in BNLX. He's got a band here called Rad Owl. Uh, and he's been in a bunch of bands like Gratitude and Attention. Oh, nice. 
Um, he's super good. And he got all my references. I like wrote a lot of these drums on the, you know, in logic or whatever. <laughs> and then I play them for him and Josh and they both look at me like, wait, what? This doesn't make any sense, but it's cool. Right. Wait. <laughs> and, and then, so he would kind of transcribe them and go like, okay, cool. You know, you don't have anything on the one here. Right. And I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, never mind. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and then the other person, which I didn't have, but it's finally been finalized. And I'm so excited is uh, Shannon from the forecast is going to be playing bass with oh, us. That's great. So yeah, I tried to get everybody from Minnesota, but I just couldn't make it work. And I really <laughs> wanted to, I just, it, it was just cheaper, you know, to like have everybody from here. But, but Shannon, I just, she's, I've always loved her playing and, uh, just the sound of her beautiful, beautiful bass. And so I was so excited that she could make it work. But yeah, so it's gonna be full band. This record clocks in at like 28 minutes, so <laughs> I so in order to fill that gap, I've got to come up with more stuff. So we're we're gonna do a few farewell continental songs. I'll probably make like a playlist and post it and say here are the songs we're gonna play on this tour at some point. So familiarize <laughs> yourself with this, otherwise you're gonna be super bored for like half of the set. Um, I had the we'll pleasure probably... of listening to the new album today, and I, I thought it was really great. It seems like it's coming from a place where um, it's kind oh, wait, of my album. Yeah. Your album. Oh, the whole thing. Nice. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Uh, your lovely team at epitaph uh, yes. allowed that for me. <laughs> good, good. So yeah, I think it's it definitely, you can hear that it's coming from a place where um, it's almost like an introspective, like examination of kind of some, someone's journey from, you know, fuck up to, you know, finding their footing and being a real like man or adult of the world. <laughs> a and, real boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and not and not afraid to admit like missteps or things that maybe have gone wrong or that you could have done better. So I think people will love it. I think it's a very like um, the sound itself is still kind of in the vein of what people would expect from you, but still like uh, a departure from what they have heard. You know, it's like something new and fresh and. Um, yeah, I think I think the way that I I kind of because Josh Kane, that's another thing I don't know if people know this, but Josh Kane from Motion City, he produced it for me, and he was really good at like um, you know in the past working with him, we would fight it out like crazy <laughs> um, to the death almost, and we just like we weren't. I mean, we were, we've always been friends, but we kind of weren't friends for a while just because we just see so much of each other and. Yeah. fight all the time that we didn't really want I don't think want to hang out with each other and so getting to do this was really fun because I could just hang out with him sometimes we wouldn't even work we just go see a movie or like eat uh and but he pushed me to be weirder than like I kind of told him what my mission statement was and then he kind of held me accountable whenever I wanted to be like well maybe I should do this instead he's like no dude make it weird um that's the whole point yeah <laughs> and and so it was great that he he got like he he didn't have his Josh Kane motion city brain on. He had his Josh Kane like producer facilitator brain on. And I don't understand sound at all, but he's amazing at getting like knowing what I would want and then getting that, um, in terms of how the guitar, you know, what the guitar tones were and all the, all that stuff and dialing it in. Um, but sorry, I brought him up for a specific reason that he's producing it, but <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying. Oh, 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 yes, yes. I think I told him like, I think it. I want it to sound 
like professional like Motion City, but also like disgusting like Farewell Continental, like like some sort of balance. It can't be as sloppy as FC, but it has to be mm. not as like polished as MCS. I, I, I wanted to kind of fit in this middle ground, and I think also with the live show, I think that's where I want that to be as well. And I think we're aiming. It's going to be a lot of guitars. I'm just going to let people know that now, and <laughs> we're going to tr- see how loud we can get. Um, it's not going to be. It's not going to be like Dinosaur Junior level, but we're going to try to get close. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure it'll be great. I'm. I'm trying to find a way to see it. I wish you guys were coming to Nashville. But, um... Oh, is that where you're housed out of? Yeah. Correct. Yep. Dang. Yeah. I don't. I don't think we're coming close at all <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah i think you're chicago maybe 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 i can make it back up there but um yeah it's the, the record is phenomenal people should look for it october 12th it's called in the drink justin courtney pierre and man it's it's been a pleasure catching up with you um yeah likewise no just you know knowing you and coming from the same town and you know following motion city and being such a fan of that that uh band and the art that you guys were making and um seeing the journey where we're all at now being dads and being old men <laughs> it's it's great the old to, guard. <laughs> it's great to hear new music and i think people will really enjoy it and hopefully they'll uh listen to this podcast and get more of a sense of where you came from and who you are today and thank you again for being here man yeah thank you i don't know how she ran away just when it seemed we were getting a little bit closer as each night fades today she seemed to fade in her own way hold me don't hold me just hold me you think you know who i am you don't know me. i'm sorry i'm not sorry i'm sorry